0: Aloha and welcome to the show. The 692nd Podcast is a platform for developing and connecting with our airmen across the island and those now serving on the mainland. Tune in for episodes where we talk all things leadership and personal development while getting a glimpse into the lives of the people moving our missions forward. I'm your host, Master Sergeant Derek Addison, and this is the 692nd Podcast. Welcome Knights, Tigers, Hawks, Warriors, and Krakens to the final interview with Chief Master Sergeant Warren Trish. For those old enough to get the reference, this is Chief Trish's version of Randy Watson of Sexual Chocolates Mic Drop. If you don't get the reference, please watch Coming to America with Eddie Murphy, then watch it again because it's amazing. Chief sits down and talks about his 25 years of service, some of the biggest parts of that time, and some of the most important experiences that have led him to be the chief airman and man that he is today. Enjoy this episode with Chief Master Sergeant Warren Trish.
1: So I did have a question, but uh, obviously this wasn't one of the pre No, certain parts of this, I'm sure, are going to be more of a freestyle session. Absolutely.
0: I did have a question whenever you first got the job and we found out that you... Had just been sitting in for Chief Master of the Air Force, right? What is it? What is it like to come and be a group chief after doing a job like that?
1: It was like I got paroled from prison. <laughs> it was, uh, it was amazing. So, for those who haven't worked at the Pentagon, which I'm, I would assume that anybody is listening to this, probably most of the audience uh, has not. Had that opportunity. Um, it is uh, an interesting place to work. So, um, you know, quick story. Uh, I had actually never been to the Pentagon prior to uh, getting picked up for that job, and so what I didn't recognize was, first, the Pentagon in and of itself is almost like a museum. It's like a mini museum, and so uh, all of the hallways are lined with military artwork. Right. So. Each service, military service branch, has their own hallway. Um, And so, you know, some, like if you go to the Army hallway or the Marine hallway, they don't just have pictures or paintings on the walls. They actually have, you know, many models of, you know, many types of uh, uh, weapon systems, you know, like tanks or, you know, ships or things like that. So it's pretty cool. So you could spend hours walking through the halls of the Pentagon just looking at all the historical things that, that are all over the place. So it's it's very intimidating right from the start when you walk into that building. Um, you see a lot of business professionals, there's a healthy mix of civilian versus you know people actually wearing uniform. I would even say it's probably even more civilian, yeah. right? And so as you're walking around, you start to notice that, uh, so it's one of those type of places just like a museum, like you can actually sign up for a tour so, you know, it's not uncommon to see a uh, honor guard member from, you know, any of the services. Um, so whether it's in, you know, Air Force honor guard or or the Army, an Army soldier or a Navy sailor, so on and so forth. Uh, they have taken uh, classes, if you will, to know a little bit about almost all of the hallways to speak to, you know, what you're seeing, what you're looking at, if there's something significant about a piece of art or whatever the case is, um, you know, that's what they're, they're a tour guide. And so this is what you walk into. If you hadn't been there before and you walk into this, you're like, this is kind of surreal. It's kind of crazy. And oh, by the way, to think that, you know, all of the most senior leadership in all of the military branches are sitting in this building. Um, You know, a perfect example, I was dropping off my dry cleaning one day, and, you know, Secretary Mattis was down there. You know, he was notorious for doing all that stuff himself. So if he had put something in a dry cleaner, he would go himself to go get it. Obviously, that's what you would hope. You don't want to abuse your privileges. but So I say that to give context to kind of what it's like. So me coming into that job, I had definitely – uh uh, kind of an idea of what it was going to be like but then when i got there it kind of busted through all any idea i had because i didn't know what to expect and then when i actually got in to learn the job all that stuff was fleeting you know it was exciting for the first month and then after it after that i realized that i'm no longer like working in a squadron right and so it's like all the things that people may not realize they enjoy about working in a squadron working with you know other teammates um, you know, uh, the mandatory fun events, you know, potlucks, and all these things that, you know, we do the, at the squadron level um, that we take for granted, you know, those things are pretty much absent working at that level. Really, people come to the five sided war machine, as I call it, to work five days a week, seven days a week, whatever your schedule is, you're there to work, and people will have, it's almost like, uh, uh, Walking Dead uh, is how I would describe it. You know, you start to see people and they kind of seem like zombies, right? To the extent, you know, I'd walk down the hallway and if I saw somebody, uh, you know, just being cordial, you know, good morning or whatever, I can't tell you how many times I said good morning to people and it got to a point where I would deliberately like yell at people, good morning kind of thing. And, you know, people would just not even acknowledge you and just try to get to where they're going, right? You know, it was, it was kind of one of those environments. And so it was, you know, after three or four months in is, is then I realized, man, this is, you know, um, that's definitely a trade-off. You know, we're operating at this level of leadership. Um, you know, the things that uh, you, again, take for granted uh, at the squadron level. And so, you know, back to your question about, you know, leaving that job and coming to to be the group superintendent here, I was looking forward, right, to escaping that environment um, and having the opportunity to be given the space to, to connect with people uh, in that way and do fun things again, right, because obviously people at the Pentagon are there to take care of the services needs, right, and it's really about the service. And so, um, you know, when I was afforded the opportunity to get back to the people business, uh, so to speak, uh, I, was all over, I, th- I was all over it. Now, I will say that there were a lot of cool things about working at the Pentagon. I'm not going to lie. Right. So there's a definite trade off, um, you know, but uh, I think many people that I've talked to that were working there at the time, you know, they, we would often um, reminisce about being in the squadron and oh yeah you know have an opportunity to to do the fun fun things that uh, we just just didn't didn't do <laughs> now at the, at the pentagon so
0: so because of that experience i think uh, both being in a position where you didn't get to really interact with airmen versus you, you know your job now where you have 1100 that you get to interact with uh pretty much seven days a week uh, if you if you want to come in on your weekends because we have those too, right? Um, what does airmanship mean to you, as as a you know uh, the group chief, the group superintendent, uh, but also as you know a man who's just completed twenty five years of service? What does airmanship mean?
1: What does airmanship mean? Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, so I think that's that's kind of a question that has been posed different ways um during my time you know serving uh, as an airman right um for me you know when i think back to kind of where i where i started out you know as a airman basic i joined for my own selfish reasons you know i won't lie about that um where you know I remember going to the or arriving in San Antonio. I feel like this this is just what my memory is selling actually happened, but at some point where you had, you know, the the liaisons meet you at the at the airport and they're taking your little manila folders. I don't know if they still do that. But I feel like somebody asked us all, you know, why we joined, right? And, you know, you had some people that were saying, Oh, I deserve my country, which I felt like they were not being truthful, right? Um, And for most of the people were honest, you know, they joined for, you know, education benefits or to travel, right? And so that was, was me. I was being honest. I joined for education benefits and to travel, Um, which ultimately I didn't, I wasn't going to school or anything like that when I first came in. So it was really to to travel. And so starting out as Airman Basic, you know, had, uh, I I was your average airman, right? I I wasn't um, really invested in, the idea of being um, a service member, other than I knew I I was wearing a military uniform and I knew that uh, at any time I could be called to action to go deploy somewhere, to to actually do that side of being a service member. But in my 18 year old mind, I was like, this is cool, right? I get to, um, I'm on my own, right? I can make my own decisions to an extent, right? You know, if I wanted to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I could do that. Um, You know, I could do what I wanted with my $300 paycheck, right? Cool. So that's the extent of my commitment into service. And so when I think about that in those terms, you know, what does it mean to be a professional, right, Is, is the extension of that question. You know, what does it mean? What does airmanship mean to me? And so, you know, I really didn't start to internalize any of that professionalism stuff, airmanship stuff, until uh, maybe four years or five years in, right? For me, it was all about trying to see where my friends were hanging out, you know, trying to circumvent some of the rules, if you you know what I'm saying, whether that's, you know, trying to go into clubs as I was underage or, you know, trying to sneak a drink, um, you know, uh, Ill- <laughs> illegally or whatever the case is. Right. I think statute so, of limitations is over. Right, You're great, Right. right. You know, You're
0: good. We're good.
1: So doing all that kind of stuff, just, uh, basically coming to work to collect a paycheck and then leaving and gave not one second thought about work after I left work. And I was always trying to find ways to get out of work early. Right. And so when I joined the honor guard, um, which was relatively soon into military service, um, at my first duty station, because um, my supervisor was uh, an honorary member for what is now called NASIC, but at the time NAIC. And so I got into that, and then that really kind of started everything from there. And so it wasn't immediate. I was still doing the same things. It's just I thought it was cool to get this different kind of uniform, and then I was getting hooked up with an achievement medal. It was all cool. So when I actually um, started, continued on with doing honor guard. Um, I started to gain a deeper understanding of professionalism, what it mean, what it means to be a professional, um, in this regard, a profession of arms. Right. Right. And so, um, you know, at that, you know, that matriculation was happening and I was also, you know, gaining more rank and responsibility. Um, I had, I was, my first duty station was Wright Patterson air force base and then uh, after four years I PCS to Kadena Air Base, and so upon my arrival, I would say maybe a year into that assignment, I went to ALS. Right, so a lot uh, oftentimes leaders will talk about their PMA experience, and for for many, they can pinpoint you know a PMA experience where where some have that that, that aha moment, right? And so ALS was not my my, my aha moment, right? You know, I was. Barely sober through ALS, barely passed, and um, had a great time. Um, but literally that time span for when I became a supervisor after ALS was re- was when I really started to take things a little bit more seriously, right? And so my uh, internal mind was was really, doing a lot of reflection on what it meant to be an airman, you know, and I was still doing honor guard at the time. And then now I was being put into more uh, roles of responsibility, even with honor guard. And, and then now I was being a supervisor at work. And so I started to recognize this growth in myself. Right. And so um, what I started to realize was that, you know, what does it mean to be a professional? And then eventually, what does it mean? What does airmanship mean? And I think, you know, along the way I started to learn that it's about, something greater than myself and what that equates to is it's about the people i'm serving alongside right my teammates or you know if i am a supervisor the people that i'm supervising um, you know trying to be the best leader or teammate that i could be because it's not about my selfish needs i need to be selfless right Um, and so i think that's what being in uh, that's what airmanship is about right it's it's you're on this awesome team right if you want to equate it to like you know if we go to the Super Bowl you know I want to go with the uh with, with the with the team that has the best odds of winning right and so you know we have a, a proud history of service and you know I think that's what it's all about right you, you you just like in in sports um you know there's 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 more people on a football field than just a quarterback there's more Players on a basketball court than the point guard, right? You know, everybody has a role to play, and so, you know, I think when I when I think about airmanship, that's that's one of the biggest lessons that I walk away from, right? The ability to uh, understand that, hey, there is value in in not doing things alone, right? Chief Wright used to say all the time, if you want to go fast, go alone; if you want to go far, you know, go together. Right. And so uh, I, I think those are, s- that's sage advice. Um, and, and, you know, when I reflect on airmanship and professionalism, you know, it's, it's a we thing, not a me thing. And so to the extent now that I'm transitioning out of the Air Force, as I'm looking to do some entrepreneurial type of things, I'm already thinking about how to shape my team. Right. Because I already recognize I don't want to go it alone. Right. How successful could I be by myself versus building a strong team so we can be that much more successful um, getting some like-minded people who have similar goals and desires to collaborate? So,
0: so that kind of a spectrum that you were on, you know, obviously the far left being Warren doing Warren stuff to, you know, staff Sergeant Trish doing more airmanship. How How many years do you think that took? Um, And is that... I'm assuming, you know, for the majority of the airmen that are in our group that are in within that, you know, maybe four to five, six years uh, that it took you, they're probably maybe in that same mindset of doing, you know, Snuffy or, you know, whatever, you know, Derek's uh, mindset versus Staff Sergeant Snuffy, you know?
1: Yeah, for me... You know, people. I've I've used this, and and you know, I don't. I'm not the originator of this, of this kind of saying, if you will. But you know, you they say whoever they are, right? You know, you join the Air Force, right? When you sign on to go to basic training, but somewhere along the line, you actually join the Air Force, right? Right. And so, uh, really, I think it is. You know, you enlist in the Air Force, but you don't actually join until until later into your service for a lot of people right um so for me when i pinpoint where i joined the air force it was after ncoa so going through ncoa i was fortunate to go to als and ncoa at the same location um at Cadena Air Base, and um it was that point in my career where i had i was already starting to show signs of being more professional because i had Became a supervisor. I was taking leader, more leadership and responsibility roles uh, um, in my professional life. Um, and so by the time I got to NCOA, I didn't go into it with the same mindset that I did ALS. You know, ALS, I was looking for the next party. You know, hey, I'm going to do whatever the bare minimum is just to pass this requirement that they say I have to go to. Um, but then by the time I got to NCOA, I was really soaking up all the information that was being, you know, provided. Um, and, you know, at that time I was little, I was the eight up tech sergeant. I was that guy, you know, you walking around with your hat off. You know, I'm screaming at people in the parking lot. You know, that that was that was me. Right. Uh, I was that on a guard. You know, I had my battle dress uniform. For those who've never heard this term, BDUs were, were crisp. Man, I'm telling you. I used to have it down pat, you know. I used to have my BDUs so cr- crisp and 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 tight that they were starched so good that I could like literally s- stand my pants up <laughs> um, without having them on, and they would stand upright. That's how much starch I had in them. So you know, like the the creases were were razor thin. Um, my boots were like glass. Um, you know, my hat was like a perfect you know form type of situation going on, right? Everything was crisp. Um, so that was kind of my mindset and how I was presenting myself to <laughs> to, to the force, um, if you will, and my teammates. And so that it's all interconnected, right? And so when I joined, this is, this is kind of what was a part of my growth. And I'll tell you, I didn't hold on to a lot of those things as I started to grow even more as a leader. I started to then continue to do reflection and, and figure out what really mattered uh, as it goes back to maintaining connections and building relationships and trying to hone my craft at, um, you know, being a, a senior enlisted leader, leader uh, uh, in the Air Force. So
0: so for just for the record, I want to let everyone know that you went to NCOA in 2006 – so I mean, you,
1: we're doing dates. That's what we're doing. Dates. I, I didn't say dates. We're just years.
0: Um, So that was 11 news. years in. Fake nose. So you were doing more. You were doing more Warren for the first 10 years of your career. I'd say nine. OK. I,
1: I, at about the nine, eight or nine, I started okay. to I was I was doing a little bit better. OK. With, with, the, with the foolishness. And then, uh, you know, I'd say, yeah, about year 10 or 11. I was really I was yeah. all in. That's good. I was all in. Don't don't put your hands in your pocket around me. It was a wrap. Yeah,
0: I will say that my wife thought it was ridiculous that I could take my BDU's off of the hangers, flip them upside down, the legs would stand straight up, and my blouse would sit on them and yeah. not fall to the ground. Yeah. She thought that was dumb. Yeah. I'm,
1: that is pretty dumb. I'm not gonna lie. I do that.
0: It's that was yeah. That's three years of tech school. Uh, I had to do that. Yeah. So, and I was a what a green, yellow, red rope for eighteen months
1: yeah so i remember that's the ritual that was a life up in the morning yeah like i don't i just get up and put on the ocps right back then you you had a lot of time to you know do a once over with the iron on your bdus and make sure my boots were you didn't have any scuffs or anything Mm -hmm. no dust Um, everything had to be you know ready to go Mm -hmm. so it was was definitely a part of the the morning ritual or the evening ritual depending on what i had going on the next day
0: every sunday night yeah. uh in at least in texco at dli we would have this portable wash machine and it would just be filled with concentrated bleach or i mean concentrated starch, starch. and yeah uh and you'd uh, you know you'd soak it in there for a little bit and you'd hang it up on a metal hanger because if you put it on a plastic one the plastic would fuse to your yeah. bdus and you couldn't get it out so i do the plastic or the metal ones and you had to stretch it yeah so it kept those creases really bad be- yeah
1: it was it's dumb. funny when you see somebody who had a uniform better than yours. Just like, oh man, how'd you get your your, your pants like that? How you get your, your your blouse like that? And everybody had their own tips and tricks and things yeah. that they were doing. And you know, it, was, it was I like did say culture.
0: I did. I don't think there were anyone that had a better uniform than me. But I will say the one guy, uh, he did have a smart idea using rave hairspray on top of the starch. After he would starch everything, he would do rave hairspray, uh, for that once over right before you go out in the in the morning. So that if it rained, you didn't smell like nasty starch. Mm-hmm. You smelled like like rave hairspray, which had like a fruity smell to it. So that was a pro tip you that, seem, you that seem I took. Like a fruity
1: fellow. So. I mean,
0: that's fine. So <laughs> I don't I'd rather smell fruity than the opposite. So I don't know what the opposite of fruity is, but um so
1: it's probably 2D. <laughs> uh,
0: I will ask, uh, this is a question that I asked myself whenever I was debating on getting out of the Air Force at 10 years. Uh, and I wanted to know, uh, in, you know, personally for me, uh, kind of, I needed a reason to stay in. Um, and one of the questions that I asked myself uh, that I'll ask you now is, do you think that there are any unsolvable problems in the Air Force? Now, I asked myself that because I wanted to challenge myself. I didn't think that I was going to be challenged for the rest of my career uh, because of the job that I had in Korea. I had 12 of them, and it was it was detrimental to me as a human being as well as my family. So I I didn't want that for my family anymore. Um, so I was, I was planning on getting out. And then, of course, Colonel Sadari convinced me to stay in, got me a job, a good fellow, loved it, stayed. But
1: here you are now in a... Sweaty, dank gym.
0: This is true, yeah.
1: Doing a podcast. It's true. Talking about fruity and tootie.
0: I'm not gonna lie. If we were over in Hangar Four in our other spot, we'd be definitely. We'd all be sweating. <laughs> okay. So, so any unsolvable problems in the Air Force that you think of?
1: Um, I, you know, this is all about transparency. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to hit the yes button. I think there are definitely problems that are unsolvable. Um, in the Air Force. Uh, I am a believer that. We are a microcosm of society, right? And there are a lot of society's ills that impact airmen and just service members in general, right? And so um, there are just, you know, when I think about things that plague people, there are just things beyond our services control that, hey, we are doing our best to mitigate, um, but... You know, real if you know, I like to be more of a realist. You know, realistically speaking, that you know, until there is more of a cultural shift within our society, there are just things that it's, it's an insurmountable task to 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 solve. You know, the social issues of the day. For example, um, if the people that we you know enlist into service are coming from society and bringing those things with them. So, but we can definitely mitigate and try to uh, do our best to implement programs and support programs and build our level of knowledge across the force to lessen the impact or lessen the amount of things that can go wrong uh, in regard to social, you know, issues that, uh, will significantly impair our ability to execute the mission, right? So, you know, I think that's 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 a deep question um, because, you know, you can nitpick and, you know, uh, you can try to get specific. And, and obviously when we're talking about, you know, weapon systems, if you're talking about money, if you're talking about, you know, things that are, directly tied to the service, you know, that's that's one category of that question. But then it's all of the, the squishy that has to be a part of that question in my mind, you know, all the squishy human feelings and the squishiness of it. You know, if we're talking about suicide, we're talking about, you know, some of the uh, um, connectedness and all of the things that uh, we try to inspire uh, our folks to um, you know, come together more, uh, you know, when we talk about the Air Force family, right, right, uh, you know, have more of a, a deeper family environment um, so we can get after some of these things and, and be left to bang, so to speak, you know, try to prevent a problem before it becomes a problem. Um, that'll be an ongoing battle, right? Right. Um, and so, you know, as, as we as members of society, um, and the society at large starts to, you know, shift. The culture starts to shift. Um, I obviously, I think we would would see a shift in some of those issues that we deal with, not be as um, prevalent if they're not as prevalent, you know, other places. Right. To it to a, to a degree, right? No, so, I understand. But I think I think that society looks to the military. The military are definitely pathfinders when it comes to things that when we're, since we're talking about social issues, I think we are definitely pathfinders when it comes to how we deal with those types of things, you know, um, and the amount of effort that we put into things like suicide prevention, right? And so it's one of those examples of something that often, I have a lot of family members, right? Who have jobs, who are not in the military, I venture to say that there is zero kind of suicide prevention, anything in their workplace. I'm, I'm like hundred percent positive. That's Man. not a thing. Um, also um, yes, there will be, you know, they have human resources when it comes to like, if there's any issues of unfair treatment or, you know, uh, sexual assault or, or sexual harassment. But I would also venture to say that, you know, on the civilian side, You know, non-government affiliated, you know, people, employees are not often finding programs as robust as as ours to, you know, um, address things like sexual assault, sexual harassment, so on and so forth. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, I think it's 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 interesting when you when you try to do that reflection and. Do that comparison of, hey, you know, I'm representing the one of the the, the greatest teams in the world. But you know, what 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 would life be like if I was on the civilian side? You know, working in the civilian sector. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that some of
0: the civilian sectors, the reason why they don't have as robust, let's say, suicide prevention, is because they don't, in, in most career fields, you know, in the civilian section, they don't have. The amount of suicide, um, I, I guess the rates, the suicide rates that we do now. Obviously, sexual assault, and sexual harassment—that's prevalent across the world in every career field, every you know, every age range. So, uh, I you know, obviously, HR systems have those, but for suicide specifically, um, do they need those?
1: So, uh, you know, I, I think it's all you know. I am not. Obviously, operating in the civilian sector, but I can only guess that Yet. you know by na- nature of some of the programs that that I'm privy to, right? Uh, I think, for example, having experience in special operations, you know, they have a program called Preservation of the Family and Force, which is essentially where our our Airman Resiliency Team kind of was was born out of, you know, that concept, and so you can think of the preservation of the family and force program, um, within SOCOM as a, uh, art team on steroids. Right. And so, um, they long recognize that, uh, Hey, if, if we, if our mission, right, is to send, um, war fighters, um, to do highly specialized and surgical, you know, do missions with surgical precision. And we're seeing that, uh, do the amount of training, and the amount of or the high rate of their ops tempo and all this kind of stuff that uh, we're, we're noticing that the ripple effect is impairing their ability because we need essentially operators to be able to perform at 100% when they are in a deployed environment or at least as close to 100% as possible. They started to do the trend analysis and see that there are all of these, these Other things, you know, social issues that were impacting that, you know, some of those folks ability to stay on task. Right. Um, And so a lot of money was was put into standing up said program that a lot of it actually isn't just focused on the military member. It's, you know, when they talk about preservation of the family and force. That family piece is huge. Right. So, you know, I was stationed at Herbert Field and, you know, that was one of the most amazing things that I ever saw was the amount of resources that were put towards the family. So there was always free events. There was always something going on and usually extremely well attended, whether it's like, um, you know, maybe they shut down the pool for a day and the whole wing is there at the pool with their family and they're, you know, doing free food and, you know, music going on and, and, and really the base shuts down when something like that is happening, but it wouldn't be something that occurred like once a quarter, this is happening like once a month. Right. And so when you start to peel back the onion and try to ensure that you're addressing, you know, all aspects of a potential problem, you know, I think that Obviously, research is showing them on the special operations side that hey, this programs like this actually make a huge difference, right? If if I can keep you know uh, Aaron Snuffy or Wuffy's family situation you know intact while they are downrange doing God's work, then there's there's a higher probability that. Airman, Snuffy, or Wuffy is going to have the the right focus that we need to do that precision execution of whatever their mission is going to be. Right. right? And so, you know, I think that kind of bled over into our line of work, you know, in the Intel side with the Airman Resiliency Team, because, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, high rates of suicide, um, not just in Intel, but, um, you know, uh, this idea of kind of working in like a factory, if you will, for those folks who are on the DGS side of the house. Um, that is why the response was to do this embedded healthcare or health support, um, to get after the calf pillars. Right. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I think that, uh, um, on the civilian side, uh, other than, you know, a professional sports organization, right. Right. But I think it's, it's a similar mindset, right. They, put millions and millions of dollars towards their athletes because they recognize this is our greatest resource are the people on that on that on that field you know they 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 understand the ripple effects that happen positive and negative you know if a team goes to the super bowl or if they win the 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 championship right because if their players are at peak performance and they're doing all these things to keep them you know, 100, you know, as healthy as possible to, to, you know, hone their skills and hone their craft to have it all come together at the right time in the right place. You know, they see the benefits of that. And it's the same thing. You know, we are no different. Um, uh, besides the million dollar paydays. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I think that, uh, given the responsibility that is put upon, um, service members, right. Um, we gotta, we, we, we gotta do the things that we're seeing, you know, cause now you see the rest of the service expanding into, you know, um, similar programs, embedded healthcare teams and, right. you know, maybe a little bit on a smaller scale, but, you know, I think that says something. Um, and I have no doubt that, uh, you know, in other places, if you were to venture out into other organizations on the civilian side that have a knowledge of what SOCOM has done, cause it's not something that they, that, they, that they've been doing forever. Right. Um, that uh you know they, they are indeed leading and and have proven the impact that a program like this has and I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if other civilian agencies hadn't started to adopt just the way they do a lot of other stuff you know military technology and things of that nature uh, into their into their own organizations
0: yeah it does kind of uh, kind of scare me a little bit whenever I see military grade like Drop protection on phone cases and that's like wow. So, that's a little is milita- different.
1: What is that though? What, it, is, what is military grade? Somebody the first
0: time. me an email. Every time I read that though, I always think lowest bidder. Yeah. So
1: highest price,
0: but lowest bidder.
1: That's usually that flashlight so. commercial. Either flashlight or yep. the eyeglass, the stupid eyeglasses like yep. blue blockers. Yep. It's military grade lenses. I think my my new phone case. Yeah.
0: My new phone case is military grade drop protection. The
1: wallet that that little micro wallet that that metal one it's like military grade metal
0: uh that broke yeah so i guess hear that
1: colonel mac don't trust that military grade wallet you're using that you won at the christmas party
0: i got the uh the carbon fiber wallet but the little screws that hold it together those broke
1: they weren't military grade.
0: yeah so they were military standard i'm sure but so for uh you mentioned the the times that you were in uh kadena obviously uh, as well as at Herbert Field, um, some of those some of those memories. What are the strongest memories that you have uh, of your service and why did they leave kind of a lasting impact on you, not just as Chief Master Sergeant Trish, but also, you know, Warren Trish?
1: So really, I'm going to, you know, since I've had such a long, 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 long career, uh, I, I won't bore you with uh, all of those but i i could really think about kind of like three three things right um i already talked about one uh, my involvement and eventual passion for honor guard so that was definitely something that i look back to and reference often when i think about how i started to become the chief that i am today um, started with, with Honor Guard. It's one of the um, standout um, memories. Um, the second is a particular deployment I had. It uh, wasn't my last deployment, but it was uh, around two, 2007. And I talked about this in one of my previous podcasts. Um, I did a, a six-month um, jet tasking, which is a joint expeditionary team. So, Back during this time frame, 2007, uh, it was not uncommon for Army to pluck Air Force members to support uh, a lot of their missions. And so fortunately for me, I got to do one of those jet taskings, and I went out on a crazy six-month deployment in Iraq um, doing some tactical uh, SIGINT support. For a bunch of the Army units. So it, it and it's funny, I, I often refer to that time um, because I, again, was operating. I joined the Air Force for selfish reasons. So we're here, I am thinking I'm joining to, to get some money to go to college and to travel the world and, you know, uh, live the dream, so to speak. Um, yeah, I knew I was joining the profession of arms and yeah, ultimately my job is to go to war. Cool. But the air force doesn't do that. That's why they're called the chair force. Right. You know, even if I do deploy, which I had deployed prior to this one, um, you know, I didn't leave the base and I had a nice cushy office, air conditioning, all that kind of stuff. You know, I wasn't in the real war, you know, I wasn't in the shit as they say. Yeah. So, um, but this one um, I was right. And um, I think it, Gave me uh, a huge <laughs> perspective on a lot of things. Number one, um, helped me really evaluate the realities of war, uh, realities the realities of combat. Um, it helped me. It drove me to assess myself and how I saw, uh, you know, my service commitment to you know when they talk about obviously following the orders of the leadership appointed over you um, you know you say those words when you're re-enlisting and stuff but it's a whole nother ball game if you're doing things that uh, on the service level you may not necessarily agree with right you know, yeah. Just being honest um, so um, there was a lot of that there was a lot of uh, internal struggle during that time frame um, because of that and then also, the fact that feeling always feeling like i was going to die right um i never expected to have to go through something like that and so i had just my daughter was was three months old when i uh went on this appointment um and so you know the whole time i had all of these mixed emotions you know for six months you know if 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 it was you know we're going in somebody's house and you know we're we're you know there's other human beings that you know are point guns that you know, women and children and all this kind of stuff uh, by, by nature of what we had to do to get the job done. Um, you know, that never sat well with me. Um, but then feeling like I was going to die and never see, you know, my daughter take her first steps, right? That was obviously very real um, to the point to where you're always hearing explosions, right? And then there's that side of it. You know, there's always, you know, some element of fear um, as you're moving throughout a situation like that. And so... I had a, uh, a an awakening also like with my own fitness level, right? There was a there was a point early on in a, in that deployment where I realized that, you know, I I wasn't taking my own uh, health as serious as I should, right? And I was like, I am not prepared physically to meet the demands of something like this. And it was then that I actually realized that uh, I am the the master of my own destiny, and li- quite literally. Like I could be the determining factor on whether I live or die tomorrow because of my, you know, my weak ass, if you will, um, because you know I just never really got into exercising beyond just passing the PT test, and I was like, yeah, I'm good, I'm skinny, you know, I, I'll be all right, right? I can pass my PT test, no problem. But you know, uh, quite a different situation when you're relying on your fitness to, you know, survive combat, right? Yeah. Whole another thing. So it was a lot of those things that I was dealing with. And then also upon the return, you know, that whole uh, um, reintegration piece. Right. You know, going through a lot of traumatizing situations and then not having people to really you feel like you could speak on it all day, but people really just don't understand unless they've been through it. Right. Right. So um, it took a while to to really, um, you know, do proper reflection on something like that. And it was definitely something that was pivotal. Like I said, you know, when I think about a memory, uh, another memory that kind of shaped, you know, who I am today, right? Um, You know, you're sitting right there, bro. We did the Spartan race. We did. Uh, Before that deployment, you would have never caught me on those, doing anything remotely close to Spartan race or running a marathon. You know, we used to do the Sunday fun day and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I absolutely wholeheartedly believe that it was because of my growth on that aspect of trying to ensure that, um, hey, uh, I need to take care of myself because, you know, I don't have a crystal ball and it doesn't have to be combat because, um, you know, I could I could get in a car accident and potentially survive or not survive because of my um, my 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 fitness level. Right. True. You know If I was. Not taking care of myself and so on and so forth right yeah. i'm sure the listeners get all that so i'll leave that there and so that that was the second thing the second memory that that definitely definitely leaps out and i'd say the third is recently recently working at the pentagon working you know in the office of the chief master in the air force um it was um like i said it was an it was an interesting place to work but, um, you know, uh, working on a small team, because the funny thing is oftentimes people will say, oh, how was working for GMAT starting in Air Force. I was like, uh, cool, I guess, you know, he was always TDY, right? So really, you know, my struggles occurred more so with the people that didn't travel, right, a lot right. of times and just being... Uh, in an environment like that, that could be very stressful at times, and you know, just trying to deal with um, uh, working at a level like that and feeling like uh, you, you know um, you you have to have a certain level of knowledge about a lot of different things um, because my responsibility was to um, sit in for him in a lot of meetings when he wasn't there, and so um, that was frightening in the beginning, right? You know, like sitting at a table with the chief of staff of the Air Force and the secretary of the Air Force and you know other uh, department um, you know uh, general officers um, uh, that was surreal and then um, you know just the, the the comings and goings of the Pentagon. So I learned a lot about myself. So not to get too deep into it, but I'll tell the, the biggest lesson lesson that I learned that I to this day give to everyone is that you know relationships matter and um, I've i i where I went into that situation thinking I was, man, I get along with anybody, right? You know, if, if, if I choose to not build a relationship with you, that's, that's because I chose and, you know, if I wanted you to like me, you'd like me kind of thing, right? i, I not that arrogant, but there was a certain air of arrogance because I felt like I had come through enough to feel like, you know, I know how to be and how to, you know, work with other people, you know? And uh, it was a rude awakening because that that wasn't that wasn't enough. Right. That, you know, my in my own mind, I thought uh, that uh, I had it all figured out, but I didn't. There was still more for me to learn and and pointed to my ability or inability to uh, cultivate relationships with other adults who had also come a long way. And um, I just couldn't get there. Right. I just really I just couldn't get there. And it, and it really uh, took a toll on me physically. Right. You know, I was losing a lot of sleep and and all this kind of stuff. And and so uh, I recognized that, um, you know, coming into this job, you know, it goes back to your first question um, that I was really looking forward uh, coming here to get one last chance at doing things, you know, hitting the reset button and doing things the way I would have like to have done them, you know, all that to say, build the kind of relationships in the Pentagon or in the office I was working in um, that, I, that I just that I just didn't. Um, and you know it's not it wasn't all on me, but I take responsibility and a part I played in, um, you know letting uh, some of those things uh, go the way they did. Um, but it's difficult, right? you know when you're 25 years in, um, and you're a mentor to others, and, you know, uh, you always think to yourself, hey, I'm, I'm the expert then you're in the back of your mind. I'm giving out information from a position of expertise, um, but it's hard sometimes to swallow that. You're not always, even 25 years of doing something, you still got a lot to learn, and you still have areas that you can grow in, And and, you know, that was apparent because... The crazy thing is I used to observe all the other senior leaders around the Pentagon and say the very exact thing that I was guilty of, <laughs> and uh, it was eye-opening. So that's the third uh, memory that um, that I say helped shape me because I would be a different chief coming into the 692nd ISRG had I not gone to the Pentagon. If I would have came straight from uh, a squadron into, that, into this position, I would be nine-day different, guarantee it.
0: So, I guess the Pentagon gave you a little, obviously, I don't want to sound rude, but it kind of gave you a little taste of humility to let you know that. Humble pie, shall I say? So, uh, I I know you like movie references, and I was just thinking of Will Smith in Independence Day, whenever, it's towards the beginning of the movie, whenever the aliens just arrive, and he's uh, having a conversation with his uh, girlfriend, soon to be fiancé. And then soon-to-be-wife, I guess, throughout the movie. Uh, but she lets him know that you are not as charming as you think you are.
1: That's exactly so. how... If I had a bumper sticker, that's... Yeah. That's 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 one of the bumper stickers I would have on the back of my, my Jeep I, right now. Obviously,
0: Will Smith corrects her and says, yeah. yes, I am. Yeah. Of course. So. And that's what I did. No. Right. I am. Yeah. Uh, the, and I, I agree with you. Relationships are probably the most important... Um, thing in in our force as well as society going back to this you know the squishy problems that we have as a society uh, those relationships are are vital um so it, obviously it doesn't have to follow along with specifically you know relationships or building them but what are some of the words of wisdom for that you have for the air force's next generation of leaders
1: you ready for this
0: i'm there
1: I am. Is. I probably should trademark this. Okay, um, we can do that. I can't because I got it from Samuel Jackson. Um, he was in a movie called Juice. He was. Um, Back in the day, for some of you, you probably never even heard of a movie called Juice, but it's one of my favorites. Go back and watch it. Anyway, he, he he makes a statement to some teenagers. He was like a shopkeeper or something. And he was like, uh, and excuse my French if I offend anyone, he was like, just because you pour syrup on a shit, don't make it pancakes. <laughs> it's true. It's true, right? Um, so for, for any of you leaders out there, right, um, I think it's, it's, it's sage advice, again, um, that uh, we all need to continue to, to, to do the important things. We need to do the hard work. The hard work for us, uh, I believe, is exactly what I've been talking about you know, from the beginning of this podcast, you know, up until the end, you know, it all points back to the people aspect of our jobs. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we think just because we're pouring syrup on something that, uh, man, that's, that's what it is, man. I'm putting syrup on his pancakes and that's what it, that's what it's, that's what it's going to be. And that's not, that's, that's not the case. And so, um, you know, I was doing a uh, NCO Coffee and Chill um, WebEx, um, and I was giving out uh, final advice to the, the folks that are on that um, about you, you got to be able to go back to the basics um, with your uh, leadership. Um, you, you know, oftentimes where things go south is because there's probably some breakdown um, with the relationship. Right. Maybe you think you're a good listener, but you're really not. Um, maybe you think you have uh, enough rapport with um, somebody in order to have the right amount of influence to um, you know, provide guidance that is received the way you want it to be received or X, Y, and Z, um, but, but uh, that rapport is not there. Maybe you think you have the right communication level with the people that you work with, but you don't, right? Um, so if you, you, you gotta get back to basics, I think it's more important, um, that the higher you go, that you don't forget the basics. Um, because that's what I saw a lot of, you know, at the, you know, Pentagon, um, you know, when you start to get beyond the group and the wing and you just go up and up and up, you see a lot of hyper-focus on the strategic things and, you know, that can be very time consuming, but, uh, you still have, whether it's a small team on that team are human beings that still need to be motivated the right way. They, you still need to show them that you care about them. You ask, ask the, you know, do the small talk, you know, ask the small questions, you know, you know, if they have a family, you know, ask about their family. If, if, if they don't have a family, you know, what do they do for fun? Whatever it is, whatever that means to you. Right. Um, more often than not, we just uh, put that stuff to the wayside and f- figure especially especially if everybody uh, has a little bit of age on them, right? Because you automatically just default to, you know, this, this colonel or this chief has it all figured out, right? Um, good to go. And uh, that, that's a part of why I had that rude awakening at the Pentagon is because, you know, it was all either general officers or O6s or chiefs, and it wasn't a lot of small talk, right? Or if it was, it was meaningless and it was in passing, and and, and and I've never really felt like it. You know, I got there, and so even coming here to the group, when I you know am privy to breakdowns of you know issues within leadership or small teams, and you know some some group dis- dysfunction, um, I guarantee it has to. Do, uh, you can go back to the basics, and there's probably a breakdown and. You know, the relationship somewhere, uh, there's a breakdown of communication, you know, all of those basic things that that I've been talking about. So, you know, if there is any one thing that I would leave, you know, listeners with is that, you you know, go back to basics. If you feel like you're struggling, um, you know, you, you, you got to go back to basics. You know, what, I'm, what am I missing? What am I not doing that is just as easy as coming in with a smile, right, to change the temperature of the room maybe it's i'm coming in not just smiling but i'm saying good morning right <laughs> or if i pass people no matter how i'm feeling inside i just had a terrible meeting with so and so but um that meeting didn't have anything to do with sergeant whoever sitting in my pathway as i'm walking by or captain whoever sitting there as i'm walking by or whatever right you know Chaplin talked a lot about self-awareness um you know after george floyd and we were having a lot of Discussions about diversity and inclusion—you um, got to be self-aware um, because your actions, um, whether you are being deliberate or um, they're they're inadvertent—they uh, impact everyone around you. And so, you know, you got to get back to basics and um, you know, kind of think about what you're doing, think about how it's impacting uh, the world around you. So, that's what I got for you, bro.
0: So. As you are transitioning to the entrepreneurial uh, Mr. Warren Trish, what are pretty much your final thoughts or final words to all of your airmen, not just the ones that you have here at the 692nd, but throughout your many, many years of dedicated service?
1: Mm. One love, I guess. Bob Marley love yeah love yourself and 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 love the people that you work with right um you know easier said than done um but i think that you know with if we are showing that we care uh about ourselves you know that whole self-care mantra and caring for others that uh that's that's what is needed um and you know that's for all airmen, anybody that that I've worked with in multiple assignments. And, um, you know, especially here in Hawaii that, uh, you know, that one love. Right. And so, um, gotta, gotta really internalize that. So it's going to mean something different to, you know, anybody that's listening, but, um, that's what I'll leave you with.
0: Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure
1: working with you, uh, and having you as a
0: chief, um, the chiefs before you are were vastly different and i'm sure every chief after you will be the same yeah so. i
1: don't see chief yorkholm um you know uh giving advice on tasty whiskeys um such as myself but uh she'll She'll be good. She might she'll be a good. She'll be a good uh, follow-up to to me.
0: We're gonna have to test her knowledge of Samuel Jackson
1: movies as well. No, she has none. She is. Uh, <laughs> she, I don't even think if it's not Star Wars, she she she's not gonna know what you're talking about. You heard it here, folks. First, folks, Good uh, to know. Yeah. All right, but Carol Baskins uh, should <laughs> got trivia. Carol Baskins. She'll 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 go toe to toe with anyone.
0: Watch that. All right. Thank you very much, Chief. Have a good
1: day. All right. Uh, aloha and mahalo.
0: Around the 55 minute mark, Chief talked about how Chaplain Edison discussed self awareness after the George Floyd murder that shook the nation and caused rippled effects across the globe. What we didn't discuss in this episode was that Chief sat down with a number of group personnel on multiple occasions to ask how we were dealing with it as a diverse group of airmen and shared some of his own experiences of being a black man in the United States Air Force and our society. As he opened up to us, he spoke specifically of finding flaws in his own thinking and actions when it relates to race and the perception of past events after reading Dr. Ibram Kendi's national bestseller, How to Be an anti racist He actively sought out resources to keep the conversations on diversity, inclusion, and racial equity going for those of us who are open to understanding the other side of the lens that a man like me, a white male, would never know to look through. He was not required to be open and vulnerable with us, but I personally am eternally grateful that he allowed us to see the world through his eyes, even for just a few moments. If you have any ideas, recommendations for future podcast shows or guests that you'd like to hear from, let us know by going to any of the socially acceptable means of communication and leave us a comment. Facebook URL is facebook.com forward slash group forward slash six nine two D podcast. The email is simply six nine two D podcast at gmail.com. And you can always leave us a message on the Mattermost channel. If you can't get to any of those, send me an email at Derek.addison at us.af.mil and I'll respond as soon as possible. That's the show for today. So for now, aloha. Take care of yourself. And if you can, take care of someone else too.